back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he that he hid to ensnare, and let the net that he did, I'm sorry, let me back up. I'm having a dyslexic moment here. Let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Oh, doesn't that get you right there? Psalm 69. It gets better. 69, verse 22. Again, David speaking of his adversaries. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. Make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. It's a nice devotional thought for the week. Psalm 83. A Psalm of Asaph. Verse 13, 83.13. Oh my God, make them like a whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Hmm. Psalm 109. Big jump. Psalm 109. Again, a psalm of David. Appoint a wicked... Uh, by the way, verse 6. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let, let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he has tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any pity to his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be, let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. <laughs> yeah, Psalm 137. Okay, if you're not seated, if you're not seated down, seated, seated. If you're not seated, sitting down, you better be on this one. Psalm 137, just one, verse five. Uh, verse five is all we need to get the point. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones. He's, I, I believe he's speaking of Edom or Babylon at this point. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Yeah, that's in your Bible. I'm sorry. Verse 9. Thank you, Dan. Verse 9. 
Let me read it again. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. That's in God's holy word. It's inspired. We understand that it's inspired. Right, okay. One more. Psalm 140, verse 9. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slander be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. Uh, what, do we, what do we do with these? You, I'll tell you what most evangelicals do. They just avoid them and skip over them. <laughs> they, they just they don't want to deal with it. This is, in our, this is in our Bible. This is part of inspired scripture. We have to deal with it. This is what we call imprecatory psalms. Anybody know what impre- imprecation is? Imprecation is when you invoke harm or evil upon someone. And we just read it. That's why these are called imprecatory or imprecatory psalms. What are our, how do we deal with this? Well, there's several options. One is, and some have taken this course, they say that when David wrote this and when Asaph wrote this, when the authors wrote they were wrong and it was sinful. What does that say about inerrancy? What does that say about inspiration of Scripture? Where did they get these words from? Our, our doctrine of inspiration says what? That the very words of the scriptures were inspired, where God breathed. How can we say this is wrong and sinful? Another option that some people take and many commentators take, well, this is just the Old Testament. You know that? That, that's, what, that's how they did it in the Old Testament. But now we're in the New Testament, New Covenant. We no longer pray those things. We have to be careful about that. Now, there may see, be, there, there may, there, there's certainly more validity in that than saying that it was wrong or sinful. But we have to be careful we don't commit what Marcion did. You know the Marcion her, heresy. Marcion said the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. He saw a radical distinction between, between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. In fact, Andy Stanley sees a big difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. That that is what we call the Marcionite heresy. Is there any validity to that? Well, look in our look in your New Testament. Go, let's go to Luke chapter ten. Luke chapter ten, verse ten. And, and in my Bible, it's red letter. So obviously, this is Jesus speaking, since they, they wouldn't put it in red letter if it wasn't, wasn't Jesus speaking. Uh, whenever you enter a town, and he's, this is the instruction he's given his apostles. Whenever you enter a town and, and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your, our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day on that day for Sodom than for that town. What is, he, what is he going to do to that town? He's going to destroy it. 
Jesus was not some Gandhi-like figure who roamed the countryside in a long robe, you know, handing out flowers. He said it would be more, it would be more bearable for a, a town that celebrated homosexuality and perversion. Does that sound familiar? That celebrated homosexuality, but it would be more bearable for them than for this town. Um, okay, uh, Galatians 1.8. Let's see what Paul has to say. Galatians 1.8. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians 1.8. He, he, he's talking about the false gospel that was spreading throughout the Galatian region that was saying that, yes, you need to, you need to trust in Christ, but you also need to be circumcised to be saved. In other words, you have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. You have to be circumcised. That doesn't sound like that big of a deal, right? Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. What is it? And I, the ESV kind of softens that. Let him be, well, anathema is the word, but, but in modern day vernacular, damned to hell. That's the impact that that word anathema would have had on it. Let him be damned to hell. What about love your neighbor? What about pray for those? Jesus, Jesus talked about that too, right? Paul says, may they be damned to hell for preaching this false gospel. That's imprecation. Okay, one more. 2 Timothy 4. Uh, don't turn to second Timothy. I don't know why I wrote that down. That's a good verse, but it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It's not just the Old Testament. Jesus said, what did he say to the, what did he say to the Pharisees in Matthew 23? You hypocrites. You whitewashed tombs. You, 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 think, you think you're going to escape judgment? I don't think we can say it's just the Old Testament. Well, some people say, well, it could be just because David was a prophet. Um, so we don't have the right to say these things, but David did and Asaph did because they were kind of prophets. And, and we really can't pull that off without sinning the way David and Asaph did. Well, my response to that is, well, it cuts both ways. If that's true, then it cuts both ways. A lot of people say this about Jesus. They say, well, you know... Jesus could do that. He could, he could, he could pray down imprecatory prayers on people, but he had the ability, being the Son of God, being God himself, to do that without sinning. We don't have that capability. And I say, well, yeah, Jesus also told me to love my neighbor. So if it goes both ways, oh, only Jesus can really do that because only he's the Son of God and deity. I can't really do that. I'm not capable of that. See, it goes both, you, have, you have to take both edges of the sword. Do you see what I mean? Will someone turn off the AC, please? Or do you just want me to heat up? All right. Let me give you some thoughts. How do we handle these imprecatory prayers? How, how do we deal with these? Let, let me offer you some, some, maybe some perspective, and then we'll, we'll talk about us. Is this something we ought to be doing? Um, these are just some random thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, and if our, if our army soldiers are putting on coats, it's cold, so... Here's a couple. Here's some things I want us to think about when it comes to these kind of psalms and how do how do we react to these? How should we not react to these? 
understand that these kind of psalms are the exception, not the norm. I mean, obviously, if you read through 150 psalms, these are a minority. And in fact, uh, most, of, most of them were just portions of a psalm, uh, which the other parts of the psalm were n- normal psalms. These, these are not normative. These are not, I don't think, to be a normative practice of the church to be praying down imprecatory prayers on, e- on, on evil people. Um, it is reserved, I believe, and we'll talk about this in a minute, it is reserved for especially egregious evil. Not that there's any other kind of evil, but you know what I'm saying. That I think it's reserved for a special kind of evil. In other words, this is not a normal, this is not and ought not be a normal routine or a normal part of our prayers or of our hymnody, of our psalmody. It is the exception, not the norm. Number two, these are expressions that were provoked by the horror of sin and evil. They were provoked and they were created out of the horror of sin and evil. Now, these are important categories that, to a large extent, the evangelical church shies away from. We don't want to talk about absolute categories like sin and evil. Uh, people just have a little... They just have some problems. They just have some hang-ups. No, the Bible says they're what? They're evil. Do we understand that? Do we understand that apart from Christ... They are evil God-haters. And you say, my neighbor's not an evil God-hater. I mean, he brings me pie at Christmas time. He, uh, he's such a nice guy. We talk about the Broncos. But what, is, what does the Bible say about their spiritual condition? They are evil. And dead. The, these are expressions that were provoked by, by the horror of of evil and sin. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever... And we're going to... I've got, a, I've got a, a, an object lesson for us today. Have you ever come across something that, that just your, your spirit was just provoked with horror and anger at, at a particular evil or sin? This is a, a, a valid expression in those moments. It doesn't happen a lot. Um... I'm going to talk about this in a minute. This is someone cutting you off is not a special case of horror of sin and evil in traffic. They are expressions provoked by the horror of sin and evil. Do we understand that there is objective evil in our world? If you don't understand that, you need to open your eyes and see through the lens of Scripture, that there is real evil. So, this kind of psalm is the exception, not the norm. These are expressions provoked by the horror uh, of sin and evil. Number three, and and it's, it's a companion to what I just said, they are not expressions of personal vengeance. If, if you notice, these were not expressions of personal vengeance. These were not used to get back or to get even. You know, It's not like the person who, who, who cheats you at work and then you say, you know, Lord, may, 
you know, uh, may you grant them the boils of, of many frogs. Listen, this is, these are not to be used um, to get even or to get back. There is a, the, the Bible makes a distinction between vindication of righteousness and vindictiveness. We are never, ever as Christians to be vindictive in our hearts. But unfortunately, what we do is we take the fact that we're not to be vindictive in our spirits and mean that there is no place for vindication of God's righteousness, of God's glory, of God's truth. And there is a distinction. There is a difference between vindication and vindictiveness. These are expressions not of personal vengeance, but expression of a triumph of divine justice. Again, another thing we don't hear a lot about. Our God is gracious and merciful, but our God is also what? Just. If you pardon me, uh, you heard the story about the old, the old lady went to have her portrait taken. And she got all dressed up and did her hair. It's like, I don't know, whatever you ladies do, you know. If the barn needs paint, and paint it, you know. Uh, so she went to get the picture taken. And she said, before he took the picture, she said, now I want you to do me justice. He said, ma'am, you don't need justice, you need mercy. (laughs) We didn't need justice. Justice demands what? Death, punishment, condemnation. That's God's justice. Do you understand that God is glorified just as much by his justice as he is by his grace? What would God be with with grace and no justice? He's the doting. I I can say this now because I'm a grandfather. He's the doting grandfather. At that point. Although I, I enact justice with my grandchildren. But you, you get the point. It, it is for the triumph of divine justice, not for the satisfaction of personal malice. Am I... Are we connecting here? Not expressions of personal vengeance. Number four. These were... If, if, if you were paying attention, we read... Would you read with me... You got no sense that these were uncontrolled outbursts. These psalms were not the product of some kind of a spontaneous expression of temper. David wasn't exploding. It was very reasoned. It was stark. It was firm. But it was reasoned. This was not an explosion of anger. He was not flying off the handle, so to speak. So imprecatory prayers are not uncontrolled outbursts. Number five, and this deals with motive. The the, the motive is for justice and righteousness. Not personal satisfaction. I, I confess, in my sin and in my flesh, sometimes I see evil people and I see evil and I pray imprecations upon them or I think imprecations upon them for my personal satisfaction that they get it. In the end, they need to get they need to get what's coming to them. You're looking at me like you never do that. <laughs> that's not what that's not what this is, and that's wrong. That clearly is wrong. That's a wrong motivation. That is a sinful motivation. We have to make that distinction. This is this is motivation for justice and righteousness, not personal satisfaction. That or I proved I'm right. 
It's for God's name, for God's honor, for God's truth, for God's righteousness. What about us? And I come across Psalm 37, 9. Blessed is the one who dashes their children against the rocks. Do I pray that against my, my neighborhood kids who won't stay off my grass? <laughs> no. What about us? Let, let, let me offer you... Uh, and, 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 and please understand that there is a... Tri- I did a, a fair amount of reading uh, across the board. There, there is a great deal of, of, uh, of uh, disagreement in, in, in the scholarly world over the application of imprecatory prayers. So understand that. Um, I'm going to give you what I think best fits Scripture and, my, and the other doctrines of inspiration and, and, and what we know of Scripture. I think that they are valid at times for us. Not normal, not the norm, but are valid as an appeal for justice to the place where true justice comes from. In other words, if, if you were to read back over these, these psalms of imprecation, the, the common theme is an appeal for God's justice. Not taking matters into your own hands. Because, what does the scripture say? Vengeance is Mine, saith the Lord. But do you know, do you, uh, real quick, as an aside, you know that there is, a, there is a textual variant in that verse. Many manuscripts say, vengeance is fine, saith the Lord. I don't know. You, you decide which text you think is, is probably most close to. Vengeance is mine. So, these are valid when our motive, in, in, those, in those exceptional times, um, that we appeal for justice to the only place where true justice comes from. And I'm not talking about the Supreme Court, obviously. I'm not talking about the Ninth Circuit, obviously. I like what Peter Lightheart said here. He said, imprecations are appeals to the judge of the earth to play the part of judge. Let me read that again. Imprecations are appeals to the judge, capital J, to the judge of the earth to play the part of judge. So we are, we are appealing at that moment. We're saying, God, at this moment, I want you to play the part of judge. Who's not playing the part of judge? Us, yeah. Turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would. You know I'm inviting you, not demand, commanding you to. Romans chapter 12. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Imprecatory prayers are are when you are taking an evil or an evil person to to the judge of the earth and leaving it, him or her or it, to the wrath of God. Given the other Things we just said, not for personal gain, not for personal satisfaction, not to, not so they get it. Again, I think that it is appropriate at times for us to pray these kinds of prayers because they are an appeal for justice where true justice 
comes from. Number two, I think it is appropriate at times for us to pray these kinds of prayers because we recognize that with our prayers, okay, let me, let me try to flesh this out. With our prayers for deliverance and protection from the innocents and from the victims, so to speak, when we pray for deliverance and protection from evil, what concurrently are we also inadvertently praying for? That it, it also means or necessitates the vanquishing or the judgment of those who are perpetrating the evil. Do, do we understand that, oh God, when you, God, protect them, protect the persecuted church. In, in, indirectly, we're saying, God, vanquish those who are perpetrating evil upon them. We, what do we want God to do? Like, recreate Acts 3 with Peter just kind of open the, open the prison doors and they all walk out? How's that going to happen in North Korea? How, how, how is, how is that, what's that going to look like in North Korea? If it's not a vanquishing of, of, of evil. Can we agree that that regime and those, that man is evil? Can we Kim Jong-un-il, whatever his name is. I know you can't say this at work, but we can say it here. He's an evil man. He is evil incarnate. And he's not the only one. Number three, and this is most important. I think we can pray these because they are consistent with what God has already done in history. When I read my Bible, I see God exacting judgment and justice all over the place. What did He, what did he do to Edom? To the Edomites? Remember, the, remember we went over Obadiah? What did He prophesy? What would Obadiah, Obadiah prophesy about Edom? He said, God's going to wipe you off the face of the earth and you're never going to exist again. Oh Lord, I pray that the Edomites would come to know Jesus that they would forsake their evil idolatry. No, he said they are going to wipe, he's going to wipe you out. And he did. And they don't exist anymore. <laughs> you will never have an Edomite neighbor. They are consistent with what God has already done in history, and I might add, also consistent with what God is going to do one day. Do you think that the end that his second coming is not going to be a time of horrific judgment and exacting of justice? In essence, what we're just simply saying is, God, you're going to do it then. In this particular case, I'm asking you to do it now. Not, not for personal gain, not personal vengeance, not to satisfy my sense of justice, but for your honor, for your glory, for your truth. Let, let, me, let me add a let me add a, a caution. We never do this out of personal offense or revenge. We're not, we, we don't hold to voodoo. We don't have little dolls of our boss. Or our neighbor. That, that's, not what, that's not what imprecation, biblical godly imprecation is. It's not that. It, it, is, it is for God's truth, for God's righteousness, and for justice. 
And it is reserved, I believe, I think we can, we can argue, for the greatest evils of our time. Jenna, would you put a picture up? I want to show you a picture of one of the greatest evils of our time. Would you get the middle uh, light for me, Neil, please? See those people? They're nicely dressed. They're, they're obviously in, a, in, a, in a, some kind of governmental office. They've got big smiles on their faces. If you were to watch this video, people are laughing and clapping. Does anybody know what's going on in this picture? Yeah, it, it is one word. Evil. Evil. This is Governor Bloomberg. And next to him is the attorney... What? Cuomo. Yeah, Bloomberg's the mayor of New York City. He's not much better. See, I'm up on politics. <laughs> Governor Cuomo, look at, the, look at his face. He's signing a late-term abortion bill. Saying, in essence, and really, it's pretty much the law of the land. Anyway, this was the attorney in Roe versus Wade. And again, after you've corrected me twice now, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say which one was Roe and which one was Wade. She was the original attorney that argued the case for the right to, for a mom to kill her baby. Look at her face. Look at the, one, look at the people behind him. Now, the guy, to his credit, the guy on the left is going, mm, I don't know about this. This is evil. They're dressed nicely. Boy, they're in a nice office. He's signing. This is evil. If your heart does not burn with imprecation over this, something is wrong with you. When the governor of Virginia can come out and say that in essence, even after a baby's born, if the mom doesn't want her, they just let it die. And yet, you know what's going to bring him down? The fact that 35 years ago he, he dressed up like a black man and came with someone who was dressed up in a Ku Klux Klan or, and that's what's going to bring him down. Not the fact that he's advocating infanticide. If this doesn't arouse imprecation in your heart and we have Christians who align themselves with this party. You know, I, you know I've never talked politics from this pulpit. I've never, I've never promoted a candidate. I've never promoted a particular party. But I'm here to say to you right now that any Christian who aligns themselves with this kind of evil has to answer to God for it. It's the murder of babies. And if you don't think we're going to get to a point in our culture where across the street over here at this place we call a clinic... Mom could take a six-year-old. I don't want this six-year-old anymore. And they'll rip his arms and legs off and pour acid on him and you know, suck his brains out. hate to be graphic, but we need to be graphic. This is evil. And the reason why I brought this up, this happened this week. This is a, an egregious form of evil. I can pray as best as I can without any... Do you sense malice, Joanna? Yeah, a little bit. God, judge them. Judge these evil people. Stop them. You may disagree. Oh, that's fine. You keep praying that Jesus will touch their hearts. Guys, 
I think the imprecatory prayers and psalms have been preserved for us in the Word for a reason. Not just to skip over. Not just to feel uncomfortable about. Not to say, well, you know, that was just David in a... That was sinful of David. And the Bible just recorded his sinful moment. No, that these are not... This is not historical narrative. I mean, maybe you could make that argument. In fact, we've made that argument in, in our mid, midweek series going through First and Second Samuel. Well, David had sinful moments. We all understand that. And the Bible records the sinful moments. They record the sinful moments not so that we might repeat them, but that we might avoid them. But this is not narrative. This is not story. Guys, there are times when if imprecation does not arise in our hearts and, and we can give full, healthy, biblical expression to this, then by all means, I believe God has given us the freedom to do it. It's not normative. It's not for my neighbor. It's not for the guy who cuts me off. I don't know what else it is for, but I know for sure it's that. Let's pray.